What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Today on What Got You There we're joined by the CEO of G3 Systems Gordon Miller Over the last 16 years, Miller has invested over $2 million in 12 companies, creating over $100 million in value for those companies, while returning an average of a five times personal return on investment. Sean and Gordon discuss a variety of topics, including everything from Gordon's 18-hour workdays in his 20s to his favorite cigars. This episode is jam-packed with actionable steps for anyone who's looking to take the next step in their entrepreneurial life. Today, what got you there is being fueled by Soniva Super Coffee. Soniva provides an organic bottled coffee blended with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil for all-day energy. Grab a bottle at your local Whole Foods market or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Are you looking to finish the latest thriller, such as The Girl on the Train, while you're at the gym or in the car? Well, now you can. For listeners of What Got You There podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check this out. Head over to www.audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there to choose from over 180,000 titles to select the book you want to hear next. Gordon, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? Hey, thanks, John, for having me on. Oh, no, I'm excited for this one. So before we get into your story, how do you start each day? Well, uh, ironically, uh, our, our dogs are you know, four years old now, so I start each day with them waking me up. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we got them into the habit of uh, being on their own schedule. So uh, when I was working with Ali, I was up at, you know, 3 a.m. Uh, because it was, you know, the beginning of the day in Dubai. And so for me, uh, I, I got used to getting up at 3 and 4 a.m. And so they knew I was up. So they're like, oh, okay, well, we'll get up too. And, uh, <laughs> So now they get me up at 4 a.m. every morning. So, uh, but I, uh, you know, actually it, it's been really good because, um, you know, uh, the old slogan that the army used to have that we do more before 9 a.m. than most people get done all day long. And, and I really feel like that's the case. I mean, I get up early. Uh, I know that a number of religions of the world, uh, have that, uh, that mantra, if you will. Uh, I know the Sikh religion, uh, looks for people to get up at 5 a.m. And, and things like that. And so I just really find that, um, getting up early uh, gives me an opportunity. Nobody else is awake except the dogs. And, uh, you know, it gives me an opportunity to get things organized, to get things planned and, and things like that. Uh, and so I just found that going to bed earlier, uh, and giving myself the six or seven hours of sleep that I need, uh, by going to bed at, you know, nine 30, 10 o'clock, and then getting up at three or 4 AM gives me the, uh, you know, the sleep I need. And yet I tend to get more done during the day. Okay. Awesome. Is there anything you do at night prior to bed or are you just so exhausted by the end of the day, you just pass out? No, I mean, the way that things go, uh, I, I answered the, this sort of in detail hour by hour, one of my Quora answers. But, uh, you know, a- after I get up in the morning, you know, uh, I, I get I get ready for uh, for my day. Uh, I finally get to the office around uh, usually around nine or 10 o'clock. Uh, and I'm, I usually have meetings back to back. I have been scheduling meetings in one hour blocks for much of the last 20 years. Uh, and um, some of our meetings go much longer because they're long-term contract negotiations or proposal work or things like that. So sometimes I have calls that'll go, you know, three, four hours long or more, even calls that go all day long and take a break for lunch. But uh, typically uh, my day is full of uh, at least eight or nine meetings 
that give us an opportunity to pursue either existing opportunities and keep tabs on those or uh, open up new opportunities. And, and those are the things we look for. Uh, you know, I typically have a, a, some kind of a lunch meeting uh, over the uh, over the afternoon. Uh, and um, I, one of the restaurants here is a client of ours. We usually you know, bring our clients there. I have my own table. Uh, and as long as I'm there by 1230, they don't give it away. And um, I have my afternoon meetings and I usually take a break, um, you know, at three or four o'clock, uh, and uh, I, I will uh, finish up work at my outdoor office, uh, which uh, is the inside joke uh, with all my business partners here in town. Uh, that's when I meet with uh, all my other business partners, and uh, we, you know, have a cigar and enjoy an adult beverage, and uh, you know, and then end up the day by you know five o'clock or six, and uh, and head on home. And so, you know, head home for dinner, enjoy some time with the family. Uh, till nine thirty uh, or so, and you know, then you know, uh, both spending time with the family as well as spending time with my wife, and then uh, before I go to bed, I mean, I try to get things organized. Uh, you know, I I tend to follow um, the the rule. I forget who who made this rule up. Uh, I, I I heard uh, um, I forget who it was even talking about how that's the most important thing that they do uh, is clearing the inbox every day. I mean, I. Uh, I, I try to clear the inbox before my day starts at 10, because if I have back-to-back -back meetings, then <clears throat> I um, don't get the opportunity to answer some of the emails. Uh, and I try to get the emails done uh, before I leave the office at 3 or 4 o'clock. And then I uh, do my partner meetings, do dinner, and then I uh, I spend the time between 9 and 10 o'clock uh, really kind of um, answering the last bit of emails. And I try to make sure... That that zero inbox uh, alert from uh, from Outlook is what I look for. I, you know, once I get zero inbox, then I can, I can go to bed. It's an unbelievable feeling, isn't it? <laughs> it, it is. It really is. So yeah. you mentioned the outdoor office. I'm also a huge fan of that. Nothing like a nice cigar and a cocktail. So if I come down there, what cigar are we have and what cocktail are we enjoying? Well, so uh, I, I am a uh, uh, I'm a huge uh, uh, Padron uh, 1964 uh, natural. Uh, fan. Uh, I've, I started out with um, the uh, Perdomo Champagne and, and uh, things like that, 10th anniversary. Great starter cigar for people that are looking to uh, get into the, the, into the hobby. And uh, of course, uh, we do work with Health and Human Services. So uh, we did our research. And uh, while smoking is bad for you, uh, understand that there is no significance data that says that cigar smoking leads to any negative health effects unless you smoke at least two cigars a day. In fact, uh, they um, <clears throat> they had to. Inc I asked the guys at Health and Human Services, you know, why did you guys at Center for Disease Control have a two cigar test? I mean, why didn't you guys test a single cigar, or you know, why did you do two cigars a day instead of you know uh, one cigar or two cigars and then alternating days and things like that? They're like, well, because the data indicated that if we uh, did anything shorter than two cigars a day, there was almost no health risk. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> well, well, there you go. So uh, <laughs> at least you guys are honest about it. There so, you go. <laughs> um, so I, mean, I, I, I go to my outdoor office uh, maybe once or twice a week. Uh, you know, I have various business partners here, uh, and um, we, uh, we try to uh, meet up to uh, enjoy some, uh, some quality time. Uh, usually I'll, I'll do one partner meeting for about an hour or maybe hour and a half. Uh, at least once or twice a week, and uh, so I enjoy maybe two cigars uh, at a sitting, and uh, and and then enjoy that for two days a week. So uh, unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be dropping dead anytime soon. But uh, <laughs> the um, so uh, the, right now the uh, the Padron 1964. Uh, I was born in 1964. 
I happen to like it better than the 1926s. Uh, I just think it's a smoother, you know, uh, and it's, it's funny too, cause I was in there and they ran out of, uh, the torpedoes that I, I like, it just gets a better cut and a better draw and everything else. So I, I actually left the other day and the owner came out and chasing me into the parking lot and he's like, Hey, where are you going? And I go, Hey, you guys are out of my cigars. So I'm going home. And uh, he, he's like, oh, here, I'll, here, I'll, I'll order two boxes and bring them overnight. I go, good. I appreciate that. You know, you should make sure you don't run out of those. So. Uh, so, uh, it, it, and certainly if you're ever in town, uh, the Mona cigar bar lounge here in, uh, Glen Allen, Virginia is a great place to go. Uh, Emir is an amazing guy. He has hospitality, uh, services, almost his entire professional career has amazing food. Uh, and yeah, Hey, I'm Sean, come on down, man. And it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it would be great. And, uh, in terms of what are we drinking? So, uh, I did work with a group from the Ukraine back, uh, a while ago. And, um, before then I, I, I drank a lot of different stuff. I was a wine guy for a long time. Uh, you know, Italian reds, uh, uh as, uh, Peter Wright knows, uh, when I met with him, uh, from Quora, I met with him up in New York. Uh, so, uh, we had Brunello for, for dinner, you know, great wine, full body goes great with all kinds of food. But, um, so I started working with these guys from Ukraine and, uh, you know, they, their first gift when they came to the U S to, to meet about doing the project, uh, they brought two bottles of vodka with them in their briefcase. And so, you know, uh, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, um, uh, we drink, you know, like, okay. Uh, it's 11 o'clock in the yeah. morning, but Hey, you know, it's, uh, you know, what time is it? Moscow. Uh, so, uh, anyway, so they got me, uh, they got me hooked on, uh, on, uh, Russian standard platinum. Uh, which is amazing. And it, it wasn't available in the U.S. at the time. It wasn't being imported uh, when we did the project. And so uh, they were like, oh, you, you know, you have to come to Ukraine and uh, uh, in order to restock. <laughs> yeah, okay. So uh, they, they finally imported the stuff. And the stuff they import is, uh, it seems like it's made for the U.S. market. It's not really as good as the as the real stuff uh, with the, you know, with the Russian tax stamp on it. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's good stuff. So, uh, of course, they got they, they only drink it straight. And so, after a couple of drinks, they're like, oh, you know, it's good. You drink like Russian. We do business. <laughs> so uh, I'm like, hey, great. Sounds good. So, you know, it was a, it was a great experience. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where uh, now I just drink, you know, straight vodka and uh, on ice. And uh, it's uh, it's just a side effect from one of the projects we did. It's kind of fun. <laughs> well, we can add that to your bio, drink like Ukrainian. So that's awesome. Uh, since we are talking alcohol, did you see the uh, the sale of Casamigos tequila? I did not. I, I am ironically allergic to tequila. So, uh, you know, I found that out the hard way. Uh, and uh, so I, I don't follow much about what happened to tequila. What, what happened to the sale? Yeah, no, uh, George Clooney is one of three founders in it, and they just sold for upwards of a billion. So I just that was in the news the past couple of days. So weren't sure if you saw that one. Just a billion? That's it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. come on. He sold out cheap. <laughs> I so, know, right? <laughs> uh, well, if, if you look at, uh, if you look at um, Patron, uh, you know, I mean, that brand is worth what three or 4 billion at least. So, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Clooney's name added some cachet to it, but, uh, you know, it's hard to find a decent, uh, I mean, at least for me, it, it's hard to find a decent tequila, uh, before I realized I was allergic to it. Uh, you know, the, uh, I would, I was drinking Don Julio Añejo, which, uh, is amazing. Uh, but, uh, it's aged in oak barrels and, uh, I'm allergic to oak. And so, uh, the, um, <clears throat> the essence from the wood would seep into the tequila and give it the dark color, uh, that it would get. Cause it's a, you know, the bourbon barrels had 
bourbon that had been infused in the oak and it pulls it all out. It's an amazing process and it's some great stuff, but yeah, I I got, you know, I take one drink of it and I get so sick, but it's, uh, it tastes so good while it's killing me. But, uh, I'm sorry to hear that one. So I'm so curious right now for my listeners who are unfamiliar with you, I bet they have no idea what business you're in, what you currently do. So you want to give them some insights into who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, yeah. So I, um, I started my career, uh, I was working at, um, uh, at the University of Virginia Tech, uh, I uh, I started the architecture lab uh, in the College of Architecture back when I was a graduate student. Uh, I have my bachelor's of fine art and design. I have my master's in architecture, and um, because in, in the eighties, the only place that they were using computers and design was in architecture. Uh, engineering was all about specifying beam depths with a spreadsheet, so that wasn't any fun. Uh, so, um, but the uh, the College of Architecture had some really phenomenal things. The program at Virginia Tech is modeled after the Harvard School of Design program, which is amazing. Uh, And so what I was doing was, uh, it was happened to be at the sort of the right place, right time. Uh, You know, I went into uh, college in 83. Uh, The Macintosh was out in 84. You know, I bought one almost immediately um, and began to acquire uh, all the various uh, tools and technologies uh, back then, buying them myself while I was in college. I was working full time while I was going to school, and so I could easily afford those things. And um, by playing with some of the technology and realizing, you know, really, there wasn't anybody else doing anything any more creative than I was. I mean, it was, you know, it was a great time to be at that point in history. And so, uh, you know, 84, 85, 86, you know, really kind of developed those skills. And when I went back to grad school, when I went back to school, grad school at 87, 88, um, you know, it was really uh, a great opportunity because I got to the university and they had just gotten some major funding and they were going to start, you know, um, filling out some of the uh, labs and facilities at the university. And um, they didn't have any idea what to buy. And so uh, because I was so familiar with the technology, uh, I was um, I was befriended by the people at Apple uh, that were servicing the account there. And um, they were really instrumental in helping us uh, set up the um, the original architecture lab. And then the folks over in engineering you know, kind of uh, realized what I was doing and gave me an opportunity to uh, co-found the lab for scientific visual analysis. And I focused on multimedia and uh, they were doing uh, data analysis. And that was really back in 88, 89. And uh, we actually made the cover of the Chronicle of Higher Education in 1991. We had one of the very first classes in the country that required a multimedia submission. You know, uh, you know, no term papers, no no hand-in projects on paper, no nothing. It's all based on your entire grade for the class was your final submission. And, uh, you know, had, had never been done before up to that point. And so uh, after that, you know, the dean from the College of Engineering called me in and said, hey, look, um, you know, uh, we, we'd love to have you stick around. You know, you're graduating here uh, in a few months. And, uh, you know, um, you know if, uh, if, we, if somebody was to give you a bunch of money, uh, what would you do to start your own lab? And I I actually carried around this list for like a year in case anybody ever asked. And so I said, okay, here, here's a list. Here's, it'll take a million dollars. And he goes, he goes, well, I, the, the dean was like, you know, awestruck. He's like, okay, well, we don't have a million dollars. I mean, we have a quarter million dollars. And so I said, well, you know, uh, it's really going to take at least a half a million dollars. I said, I uh, tell you what, um, I, I won't take the job yet, but uh, if I raise another quarter million dollars, um, I'll take it. And he goes, excuse me? And he he goes, yeah, if I can find matching funds, uh, you know, this is a grant from IBM. 
for a quarter million dollars. Uh, and of course, I knew I was going to go ask my friends at Apple for the money. And so I called the guys at Apple and said, hey, you know, engineering is hiring me. I'm leaving architecture. Uh, IBM just donated a quarter million dollars. If you guys want to, you know, keep pace, uh, I need a quarter million dollars <laughs> of equipment donations. <laughs> and they said, okay. When, when would you like it delivered? And so I go, well, let me let me find out where my lab's going to be first. Here, hang on a second. So I, I went back to the dean's office in like 72 hours. And I said, okay, I'll take the job. I've raised another quarter million dollars. He's like, you raised a quarter million dollars in 72 hours? And I go, yeah, of course. So uh, I went ahead and took the job. And, uh, you know, we had 700 lab tours uh, in the first three years. We I met personally with uh, teams from every one of the Fortune 500 and, uh, delegations from 118 countries. It, it was amazing. I mean, it was really, it was really the thing that kind of launched uh, the opportunity to start my own company. Uh, you know, eventually my five-year contract was up and I had a chance to renew and I decided, you know what, um, I'd already been doing some consulting work and I'd been doing some other stuff. <clears throat> I said, you know, we should probably give this a shot. So, you know, with, I started the company while I was still working at, at the university uh, and had a couple years of overlap as we were you know, building up momentum and building up our client list. And uh, I, I left the, my job at the university with 90 days worth of money uh, in the bank. Uh, and uh, after 30 days of uh, just cold calling all 500 of the Fortune 500, we had a 14-month uh, a backlog of work. So it was amazing. And what company was this that you started? Uh, oh, uh, I started G3 Systems Incorporated at G3.com. So you, you talk about all the phone calls you made. I want to hear about kind of those early days, the start of it. First off, what was your goal by the time you turned 30? And what was it like that early startup, that grind time? Well, you know, actually, it was a, <clears throat> it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I, I started the company when I was 28, about a week before my 29th birthday. And so <clears throat> I knew that if I was going to start my own company, I wanted to do it before I was 30. And uh, for me, it was just an arbitrary mark on the wall. Uh, but, you know, it seemed like, you know, look, if you, I guess at that time I was like, well, by 30, your life is half over. So you, you, you better, yeah, yeah. Now, now at 52, my life is really half over. So, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those kind of funny things that uh, you're young and stupid and you don't know any different. And, um, but, you know, the funny thing is we were successful because I, I didn't know any different. I mean, I, you know, if I had known how hard it was going to be, I would never have done it. I mean, you know, and anybody who, who goes into this thinking this is going to be easy, you're kidding yourself. You're delusional. But, uh, you know, thankfully, most everybody is just too stupid to realize how hard it's going to be. And, you know, once you get in it, uh, you're either going to give up, you know, when it gets really tough or you're going to keep going. And, you know, the reason that 98 percent of all businesses fail is because people give up. You know, I mean, you know, if you hang in there, I mean, I know, yeah, you know, people are strapped for cash and shit happens and stuff like that. But, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, uh, people emotionally or mentally, you know, give up. They're just not mentally tough or emotionally tough. You know, they don't, they don't, you know, dial it in and crank it up. You know, if you got 30 days of money left and that's all the money you got, you better get your ass to work, you know, get, you know, start making some money come in. You know, if you can't make it rain, then you're not going to be successful. If you can't make, you know, if you can't raise a quarter million dollars in 72 hours, like I did when I was, you know, 26, then, you know, you're not going to be successful. You know, it's, it's, it takes a certain amount of, of determination and a certain amount of, of creativeness in order to be, you know, be successful at that level. And I, I was just very fortunate. I mean, I was at the right place in the right time in history. Uh, I got to know some of the, some great people. Our early clients at G3 were uh, folks like um, MCI and FedEx and Eastman Chemical Corporation, 
and Apple Computer and IBM's research development uh, area in Research Triangle Park and in White Plains. It, it was great. I mean, it was it was a great time. I mean, I was you know I, I thought that you know I thought I had, you know hit it big back then, and I was just thirty. So I mean, you mentioned right place, right time, and I definitely agree with that. But there are so many people who could be in that position, and they just don't have the balls to do what you do, raising that money in seventy two hours. I mean, where does that come from for you? Well, for me, you know, it's again, I uh, <clears throat> I spent my entire uh, graduate career, uh, you know, working on building one lab after another. I mean, most people are lucky if they build one successful university facility. I built three in five years. So uh, it's it's one of those kind of things that um, I just was well organized. I, I constantly was planning and constantly doing the numbers. I was keeping track of of the technology. We, the most of the work that we got done was because we did stuff that uh, it, we did. It, we had R and D efforts, research and development that we were doing at the university with the crew that I had at uh, in my lab. And you know, uh, we were doing stuff nobody else you know had thought of yet. I mean, I re- I still remember being at MacWorld Expo, uh, and um, I w- we were in the Apple booth, uh, and this was about I think it was 1994, and um, the uh, the folks at Macromedia uh, that made uh, the director product that we used to integrate all of our presentations at the time uh, were a few uh, a few booths away, and so Kevin Howell was the product marketing manager for Director, and we got full screen full motion video working embedded in, with Motion JPEG hardware by Radius in their Video Vision Studio product embedded in Director, and nobody had ever done that before. Kevin even had gone on record as saying it was impossible. And so, you know, the guys at Apple saw it and the guys from Radius were over there and they were like, somebody go get Kevin, you know? And so, you know, and we won a silver medal that year in the New Media Magazine and Vision Awards. Uh, we got beat out by the guys at Yale that had a tremendous uh, cardiac uh, surgery instruction package. It was unbelievable. Uh, and they deserved to win. Uh, we beat the guys at MIT that came in third and they were hosting the event. They were mad as hell. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was, it was great though. And, uh, but that's, you know, that's the kind of stuff we focus on. We focused on doing the impossible. And we just realized that by staying on the cutting edge of technology, you know, uh, and it's the same thing we do now for our clients. You know, I, I own almost every device that gets manufactured. And somebody asked me, you know, why do you have 19 phones? Well, I have 19 phones because one day some client's going to ask me, hey, what do you think of the new Pixel XL? Or what do you think of the new iPhone 7? Or what do you think of this? And I better have an answer. And that answer better be right. And so, you know, cause they're going to, you know, they're not buying one of them, they're buying 500 of them. And so, you know, if they're going to spend a thousand bucks on a phone for 500 employees, they're going to spend half a million dollars on phones. That answer better be correct. And so we just realized that there was value in being places that most people weren't. And so that's how we set up our early value proposition. I mean, you mentioned the cutting edge of technology. Is that what you do? You're constantly experimenting with the latest trends. And then what do you foresee in the future next five to 10 years in terms of technology? Yeah, so that's a great question, Sean. So thanks. Um, the, um, we have chosen to pivot the company every five years or so for the last 24 years. You know, the next pivot's coming. Uh, and so, um, you know, we started out in doing K through 12 and higher education, doing digital textbooks. And then we, uh, then the internet came along and we were doing corporate websites and, and internet, you know, stuff, you know, including some e-commerce. We did, you know, we, we had, uh, dealerships selling cars online in 1995 before anybody even thought about posting shit on eBay for sale. You know, we were, we were selling houses 
before the MLS listing went online. You know, we had realtors in our local area in Blacksburg, Virginia, where our headquarters was, that were selling houses online. People looking at, you know, uh, QuickTime VR uh, tours of the houses and uh, everything else. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, it was it was a great time to be on on that cutting edge. And so, um, you know, as we moved from the commercial stuff, we began getting into government projects. Uh, you know, we did our first early government project for the U.S. Navy and followed it up with the U.S. Army and then uh, the uh, folks at the Department of Homeland Security and the State Department, a bunch of others. Uh, but uh, once we got into the uh, government contracting game, we were in it long enough to where eventually um, we began to work on sort of legacy systems migration. In fact, we're on a contract right now uh, that we did originally in 1998 through 2003 for the Army training portal at train.army.mil. And we actually have, the, we're on the, a team to do the redesign. We're supporting it right now, right now while they're waiting for the uh, enterprise contract to be let for the replacement for it. But to think that we've been in the game long enough that we, 20 years later, we stand a chance to be on the team to redesign the system we designed in the first place, you know, 20 years before that. I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing. Uh, but these legacy system migrations, I mean, we have 28 systems at Health and Human Services and 39 systems at, at DOD that, you know, we support. And, uh, you know, it's a great, you know, it's a great thing. And then, you know, more recently we moved into mobile. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, the great thing is the, the analog that I see is everybody who was a freshman or a sophomore in college in seven, in, in 2007, you guys are, sh are, should be right where I was at that time. You know, this is, you know, it's just like when I was in college in 83 and 84 and started the company 10 years later, this is your 10 years later, man. You need to take that ball and run with it. You know, you're 28, 29, you know, you guys out there, this is your time, man. This is the time you need to do this. You know, you guys were at the right place at the right time. And the people that took advantage of that uh, are, are going to make it, you know, make it happen. And, uh, and we see that now with kids that are 25 and 26. And, and I, I don't mean, it's not pejoratively, I don't mean kids in a derogatory way. You guys are half my age. All right. So I was, <laughs> I was, I was 25 or 26 once too. So, uh, but, uh, you know, you guys are killing it. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing to see what you guys are doing. I love that. And so, you know, as we move, you know, sort of in the, into the post mobile, uh, era, uh, you know, a, a lot of the things that I'm doing, at least through our G3I ventures group, uh, you know, I, I started 12 companies in the last, um, 24 years. Uh, 10 of them are still operational. I, I have 10 companies on deck uh, here in the in, in the next 12 months to go live, uh, and 10 more waiting in, in you know on, on in the backlog. And so you know I, I'm really focused more now uh, at this stage of my career on helping other people transition what they're doing. I'm working with some great 20 year olds that it's just like you know they get up every day and they're just they're just crushing it. And I'm like, man, you know, I remember when it was like that for me. I love that. I love that passion. I love that that drive and commitment. It's terrific. It keeps me alive, and it, it's it's great to be able to share some of the mistakes that I made along the way, uh, so that they don't make those same mistakes. And you know, it's been great working with uh, with those folks and being a part of of what we're building together. And uh, you know, it's it's what I love to do. Uh, but from a technology standpoint, we're not stepping away from technology. But the technology is going to a place where I don't frankly want to go. Uh, you know, it's it's tough. I mean, I, I did my PhD work in human factors engineering, and I, I with a specialty in uh, interface design 
and uh, workflow optimization. And so uh, I, I have colleagues at the university at Virginia Tech that uh, have been working on three-dimensional interfaces for literally 30 years. And you know, when we were doing the lab for scientific visual analysis, uh, we were working on you know one of the we were cave environment number four, and the cave was a silicon graphics powered refrigerator sized you know supercomputer that ran six projectors that projected on you know this cube that projected on the floor and the ceiling and and uh, you know and four three walls at least. And so uh, there were I think there's twelve of them now around the country, but we had like cave number four, and so. You know, we've been doing VR literally for 30 years. I mean, we started doing VR in, in the, with the lab in 1988. So we're coming up on 30 years. And everybody's like, oh, man, VR's taken off. And it's like, you know, look, Google, Google, Google crashed and burned, you know, setting billions of dollars on fire in their driveway, uh, you know, with Google Glass. And uh, Microsoft followed with the, with the HoloLens. Who the hell designed that thing? You know, it's like it's like wearing a brick on your freaking head. I mean, you know, the the technology and the battery power and everything else has got to go exponentially higher. You know, if you're if if the best technology you've got is slabbing your phone into a plastic thing you're going to stick on your face, you have you have missed the boat. I mean, you know, there needs to be innovation and in technology around the hardware before VR is going to go anywhere. And everybody I talk to is all, man, VR is going to take off. It's going to be there in the next three years. Dude, it has not been there in the last 30 years. There's no way in hell VR is going to take over in the next three to five years. It just isn't. I mean, the, 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 you know, there, there are people out there in the world. You know, we got 7 billion people on the planet. You know, 2 billion don't even have a cell phone. Uh, other 2 billion don't have a smartphone. So come on. You know, this is, this is not, VR is not going to take over the world in the next five years. In, in the next 10 years or 15 years, maybe. You know, but uh, I think augmented reality, AR, is really where it's at. VR is going to be complete crap. Uh, unless you're going to make some science fiction movie like Michael Bay does, uh, and uh, you know you're going to make Transformers 19 because it makes 200 million dollars the day it comes out, you know it's like okay great, you know you don't need any real actors, you know I mean they're on you know screen time for human beings is like maybe eight minutes for the whole damn movie, everything else is all computer generated, so uh, but you know it's a great use of the technology and CGI is is great like that it's 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 come leaps and bounds. So look look at the look at the at the at the Transformer movie and look at how the technology for CGI has come along. Where is the the similar advances in VR? How come VR is still blocky? You know, avatars that look like they did in the Sims game twenty years ago. Come on, give me a break. So you know, I, I think there's an opportunity uh, in augmented reality. I do think that uh, working on new display systems. I, I understand there's a new set of contact lenses uh, that they're working on that are really amazing. Uh, and so I, I think stuff like that is going to really, you know, cause you think about the way Google glass was, they were banned in clubs and stuff like that. Cause everybody was on record, uh, you know, the whole time. And so, you know, anything that's going to be an intrusive technology that you can't walk around and, and go to dinner or go to a club with or drive your car with or something like that, anything that's like that is going to be too disruptive a technology to actually be effective. And I think that when they fix the hardware, I think then you'll see AR probably take off first, and eventually VR will catch up to CGI and AR. Are you making bets then on the technology and the batteries behind it? No, you know, uh, those kind of bets are, 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 um, are really suckers bets. I'll, I'll leave betting on battery technology to, you know, to Elon Musk. You know, uh, if anybody knows where battery technology is going to go, it's him. Uh, and I have an immense amount of respect for him and what he's done. I mean, he, he literally put it all on the line. He, t- he didn't have to invest his entire fortune 
uh, in trying to get Tesla off the ground. And, uh, you know, he has bet the farm literally, you know, all in, double down. And if this shit doesn't work, you know, he's going to, you know, he's going to be trying to refamiliarize himself with, do you want fries with that? <laughs> and so, you know, he's, you know, he is, uh, he is definitely, uh, you know, just, there is nobody it, it, I, I know of that, you know, puts it all on the line like he does. He's an amazing guy. I look forward to meeting him one day. Uh, but you know, it's, it's amazing how much he believes in what he's doing and his purchase of solar city, uh, for the new residential, uh, uh, solar tiles that look like roof tiles, amazing technology, unbelievable. Uh, and when you, when you charge up your house battery with that and you can, uh, buy power in off grid times, you're not paying 15 cents a kilowatt hour, you're paying five overnight to recharge the battery. The utility companies are going to go nuts. You know, the, you, all of a sudden, you don't need any more power from the from the power company at 15 cents a kilowatt hour. You know, what's going to happen to the utility companies when all of a sudden uh, they lose 75 uh, percent of all their revenue? So uh, that doesn't look good for them. But, um, I, you know, I'm amazed at what he does. Batteries are important, uh, you know, uh, preferably ones that don't explode my pants. I, I, I like, I, you know, I, I prefer not to have my, I, you know, I went back to an iPhone because I was like, you know what? I'm not risking my yeah. the thing exploding. <laughs> It's just, uh, you know, it's not going to work that way. Are there any lesser known visionaries that you might know personally similar to an Elon? They just have, have, haven't hit that main stage yet, but you think these guys are just brilliant and a step ahead of the game? Well, you know, most of the guys that I meet like that are um, are in various university research programs. Uh, you know, um, and, and, and nobody ever knows their name. Uh, and um, I'll give you an example. So Dr. Charles Lee uh, it was head of the, uh, electrical engineering program at Virginia tech. And, uh, Dr. Lee, um, uh, has, uh, I think 200 and sorry, sorry, doc, uh, 237 <laughs> or 287 or something like that patents to his name. Uh, you know, he set up the program where, uh, if you want to be one of his graduate students, I, I think he takes like 12 or 18 a year, something like that. Uh, if you want to be one of his graduate students, you better have something worth patenting. Uh, and so that's the only, you know, if your patent is granted, you pass the class. If your patent isn't granted, you fail. And so, you know, it, he, you know, it's innovators like that, that are focused on driving value. And every one of those guys has a job when they get out and not just any job. I mean, these guys are sought after by folks in industry where, you know, they, they have two or three people working on a patent together. They all share patent credit. The university gets the patent credit. Dr. Lee gets to lead the patent. Uh, the other guys on the graduate students, you know, get to do that. But the university gets to license the patent to some Fortune 500 company. And these three guys cash in, making a buck and a quarter a year uh, straight out of school. And they also get residual license revenue from the patent. What's not to love about that model? And so I think most of the innovation out there is happening in, in universities. Uh, the thing that I hate to see is most universities have no idea what to do with their patents. Uh, you know, the folks at um, Virginia Tech have opened up their patent portfolio. Uh, the folks at William & Mary have asked me to take whatever I want and just pay them a royalty. And, uh, you know, the folks at VCU have, have expressed an interest of why I took uh, everybody else up on their offer and didn't invite them to the party. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, I mean, I, you know, the, I, I've got access to, you know, what, 20, 30,000 patents. I, I don't, you know... I can't commercialize them all. And, you know, it's, it's one of those kind of things that uh, I think that the innovation that's happening at the university level uh, is of relatively little value unless you have people like Dr. Lee who are prepared to leverage that into 
successful career opportunities and licensing opportunities uh, while they're at it. I, I think that's a tremendous model. And, uh, you know, nobody, you know, not many people outside of the electrical engineering, you know, uh, industry even know who he is. But, uh, you know, he led the Center for Power Electronic Systems uh, at Virginia Tech for a while, uh, NSF-funded uh, research entity. Uh, you know, it's an amazing, uh, amazing group. But, you know, that should be the model for education. I mean, it, with education tuitions uh, going up, uh, you know, faster than seems humanly possible uh, and everybody trying to figure out what's the value, you know, what's the return on my investment, you know, for going to college these days, you know, these kind of programs that they have set up uh, need to lead somewhere. They can't just be, you know, park yourself in a, in a seat for four years and, uh, you know, pass all your classes and you get a degree. And then, you know, okay, great. Now, you know, uh, you you have to try to fend for yourself when it comes to trying to find a job. You know, it's it's tough enough out there. Yeah, I know you have some kids that are coming up on the college age. If you were that 16, 17-year-old right now, do you think you'd go to school? Well, so that's a good question. So I, I have both a, uh, a YouTube video on my YouTube channel and answers on Quora that address that. And I, I caught a lot of heat from that. Actually, I, I had... I had guys email me uh, that said, I'm 17 and I'm not going to college. And my parents are upset with me, uh, but I, I, I showed them your video. I was like, oh, for God's sake. They're justified now, yeah. Right, 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 exactly. Uh, you know, my dad's really mad. Can he, can he call you? No. Uh, he, he can sue me, but he can't call me. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so I have, I have three kids. They're 17, 15, and 11. Uh, and my 17-year-old is a rising senior. Uh, you know, he's looking at where he wants to go to school, but, um, you know, understand that, you know, he, the school he's looking at is like, you know, $60,000 a year. And, uh, so for four years, I mean, you're talking a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, okay, great. So let's say all, uh, and my middle one wants to go to Carnegie Mellon, which is like 90,000 a year. <laughs> so I'm like, all right. So that's like almost 400,000. So, uh, you know, the, the, who knows where the, the youngest one wants to go, but, you know, let's, let's just, let's just agree I'm in it for a million, you know? Okay. So you know, I get a million dollar investment in their future. Uh, and that's great. I mean, let's hope that it pays off, but you know, if you do the math and I, I, I did the math on some of my answers, uh, you know, in detail, uh, people can check out, you know, the answers on Quora and just do, you know, search on Gordon Miller in college. Uh, and, um, the problem is, is that, because college has gotten so expensive. I mean, when I went to college, I graduated grad school with $40,000 in student loan. And it took me 10 years to pay them off. And because the university uh, wasn't paying very much back then. I mean, you know, things were, inflation wasn't as bad as it was and money was worth more. But, you know, I was making about, I was taking home about, you know, uh, 36,000 net a year off of 40 some thousand dollars, uh, $45,000 or so. And so um, <clears throat> the, um, my uh, student loan payment was like a thousand bucks a month. And I was like, man, you know, this is like a third of my take home pay. You know, I can't believe that my loans are just, you know, this expensive. And, uh, you know, it kept me from buying a house for a long time. Uh, it kept me from, uh, you know, traveling while I was younger. It kept me from a lot of things. Now you got kids that are graduating with $200,000 worth of loans. And, and the, you know, the thing that I think is really criminal uh, is the government has allowed government-backed student loans to go out 20 years. And the problem with that model is that if you only pay the minimum and tear, take it out 20 years, you graduate when you're 21, you are 41 before you're out from underneath your, your student loans. Uh, and considering that most student loan payments are about what your mortgage would be, it's looking at you may not, uh, you may not have a house before you're 40. 
you know, it's it was bad enough not buying my first house until I was close to 30. Uh, but I had to pay my student loans off before I could buy a house. And so, um, but you know, it's, it's a terrible situation. I, I think it's horrible. Uh, you know, and I think that, um, you know, back when, back at the turn of the century, uh, when the industrial revolution happened from the 1890s to the 1900s, uh, only about 10% of people went to college and, um, it was definitely not expected. Uh, most people went, you know, got trained and had a skill and, and went into industry and, or agriculture and, and things like that. That was just the way it was in this country. And then as we get closer to the second world war, uh, you see it creeping up to about 25% going to college. Then, at, you know, in the sixties and seventies, it, it expands to about, uh, 50%. You know, we had the crossover point because more more women were going to college than, uh, you know, during the whole equal rights movement and and things like that. I mean, you know, into the 50s through the 60s, you know, we saw more women going to college in the 60s and 70s. And so we we, we hit the 50 percent mark. Now, most people are shocked to realize that the percentage of people that go to college is still like 63 or 66 percent. You know, that, it, you know, uh, a majority of people in this country go to college, but a significant number of them don't. You know, there's still millions of people every year that graduate high school and don't go to college. And um, I, I think that college isn't necessarily for everybody. You know, I, I think that everybody feels like a, a, a compelled to do that. And I, I think the best advice I, I heard recently came from Mark Cuban. Uh, I, I, again, I think the world of Mark, uh, I, I think he's a straight shooter. I, I, I love his attitude. Uh, you know, between he and Elon Musk, you know, I think it's a, I think those two probably have had the most profound influence on inspiring me to do what I do. But, uh, you know, uh, Mark said, uh, anybody who goes to a really expensive school for the first two years of college is an idiot. Uh, that English 101 at the local community college is no different than English 101 at Harvard, you know, and you're not going to learn to write that much better, you know, an essay about what you did over your summer vacation than in, you know, in, at Harvard than you are, you know, in the local community college. And he said, you know, the optimal way to do that is to is to be able to um, uh, spend as little money as possible over the first couple of years and then transfer into a prestigious university uh, that has real value and maximize your opportunity there. And I, I thought that was a great strategy. And uh, I, I heard uh, on another interview that he did um, that uh, when he picked going to Indiana for business school, uh, he picked it because it was the cheapest top 10, uh, school there was, he wanted to go to one of the top 10 business schools, but he, he, he did the cost benefit analysis hmm. and went to the least expensive of the top 10. And it's a great strategy. I mean, I, I think more people need to do the math. And I think that when you do the math and realize, look, I'm going to be 50 before, you know, if you look at all at the time you take to go to college or graduate school and, and the number of years you go without an income and the number of years you have to repay the loans and the interest on those loans and everything else, you take a look at all those costs, your break-even point is like 55 years old. You know, it's like, you know, once you do the math, you're like, damn, I'll be almost, I'll be, I'll, I'll be about ready to collect social security <laughs> by the time I break even on my college education. And so I think we have to find strategies that make college more affordable. Yeah. And I think that goes for everybody. Yeah, those those student loan handcuffs are just unbelievable. So, so what do you say to someone young entrepreneur who wants to start their own company? When do they start it? How do they get about, or how do they go about doing that? Yeah, the best time to start a company is yesterday. Thank you. So, <laughs> uh, and uh, and so uh, everybody, you know, everybody's like, well, uh, so how did you get so smart? I go, well, I read two hundred and fifty books uh, over a five year period. 
uh, you know, I was traveling back and forth on our government contracts uh, from 98 to 2003, and I was driving about 50,000 miles a year. And so, you know, to pass the time, I, I did audiobooks and I read, you know, read in air quotes, I read everything, you know, and I was like, oh my God, I mean, yeah, 50,000 hours uh, or uh, 50,000 miles. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. So, how many, how many hours? It's like a, thousand hours a year is what I was spending. So I had 5,000 hours worth of time over a five-year period. You know, you do anything for 5,000 hours, you're going to get pretty goddamn smart about it. And so uh, literally I consumed everything there was, everything from, you know, how to win friends and influence people to Zig Ziglar's tips on sales to, uh, you know, all the all the various uh, ones. And I, I've got a, I got two videos on uh, the top 40 books that I think everybody should uh, should read out of those 250. Uh, and, uh, so that, that's a great, um, a great place to start, but most people, you know, are, have this analysis paralysis of analysis where they're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to read all 250 of these books and then I'm going to start my company. Dude, th- those people, <laughs> those people don't, you know, I mean, most of those people got rich by writing those books. And, uh, and, you know, and Frank, frankly, that's why I don't have a book to sell. I'm not here to push a 10 step program. Uh, I'm not here to sell you. You, know, you, can't, you can't go to my website and pay me $29.95 for anything. You can't buy, you know, a book I'm, I'm, I've got. I don't have a book. So, uh, you know, most of these people got rich by selling you their book. And, uh, and you know, hey, I, I don't begrudge them that. That's, that's their thing. Uh, but, you know, you need to do you. You know, you need to figure out what you need to do. You know, they can tell you what they did, but, you know, they did it back in the 1980s or 1990s or in the 2000s. Dude, those, that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, anybody who did shit before 2008 when all the banking rules changed, everything's different. You know, when the banking rules changed in 2008 and small businesses can't get financing, the whole, the whole world is different now. You know, so anybody who made their money before 2008 and, and haven't done anything really significant since, then it's really of no value because it, that, that was a whole, that's like a whole lifetime ago. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I'm a huge fan of Audible and definitely recommend checking it out. If you're looking for a way to stay energized throughout the entire day, grab a bottle of Suniva Super Coffee. Suniva is something I drink on a daily basis. It's an organic bottled coffee blend with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil, which provides me with clean, all-day energy. Head to your local Whole Foods or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Suniva was founded by three college athletes who are brothers and wanted a cleaner way to stay energized throughout the entire day. I just want to hear about your early days because I know what your timeline was like when you were launching your business and you were still working. Can you kind of just go through that for the listeners? Yeah, sure. So uh, somebody asked me, uh, you know, what's the best time to start a company like you just did? And I said, well, the best time to start a company is when you got another job. And uh, and they're like, oh, well, you know, how do I do that? And I go, well, I'll tell you how I did it. (laughs) You know, I I got to work at 8 a.m. I worked through lunch uh, and I got off at 4 p.m. Uh, I, uh, I went and got dinner, uh, f- from four to five and I showed up at the company at five o'clock and, uh, and then I, um, uh, I worked until midnight or 2 AM and I did that literally for two years straight. And, um, it was funny too, cause we, we used to focus on, on clients on the West coast. And so 
we took advantage of the, of the three hour time difference. And so uh, we'd be scheduling meetings and, and they would be like, oh, you know, let's do, uh, you know, 10 o'clock our time, which of course <laughs> is, is one o'clock, you know, uh, our, our time here on the East Coast. And I was like, uh, you know, my schedule is full until, yeah, un- until <laughs> right, un- until, uh, you know, two o'clock your time. He's like, man, you never have anything available before two. I go, yeah, that stuff fills up pretty quickly. So, uh, you know, it was, you know. Uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't, you know, uh, a lot of people say fake it till you make it. It wasn't about faking it till you make it. That was the only scheduled slot I had. I mean, it was my, my other slots were full. I wasn't lying to them. I was just, it was, those slots were full with my actual regular job. So, um, but, um, I mean, I did that for two years and, uh, and, and people are like, man, how, how do you work 18 hours a day for two years? It's like, dude, if you have to ask how you do that, you're not going to make it. I mean, you know, if it just seem it should seem second nature to you. I mean, you know, it's it's not something where you got to go. Oh God, I can't believe I got to go do this. You know, for me, and and I'm not a huge fan of Grant Cardone. I think he's a moron. But uh, you know, uh, but you know, Grant has like an IQ. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I love that book actually. It's actually on my my top forty list. But Grant has like an IQ of like ninety. So uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where uh, you know he is that he is the motivational guy. You know, I, I wish everybody could be like him because he believes everything he's saying, I think. And so he's, he's about get, just getting out there and getting it done. And I, I admire that about him. I do. Uh, and I, I really think that, you know, if, if you are, st- you know, if you're getting off your regular job at four o'clock and you're, uh, you know, you're like, oh, man, I can't believe I got to go, you know, go to the office for my company and stuff like that. Dude, I, I got off at four o'clock and I was like, hell yeah. You know, I, I put in my time, you know, it was like being paroled every day. And so I was like, well, yeah, let's go. And, uh, cause I got to do stuff I enjoyed doing. I got to do the stuff I knew was going to be building my future. Uh, you know, if you don't feel that way about it, don't do it. I mean, it, it will be a nightmare for you. So just don't do it. I mean, it's, you know, if you, if it feels forced, it never felt forced to me. I, I ever since I got started 24 years ago, it has been, you know, I wake up every day going, damn, I can't believe I get to do this, you know, and, uh, and that's what it's got to be for everybody. I mean, that, that's what it should feel like. I mean, it doesn't feel like that every day, uh, you know, but, you know, more, you know, I'm there are days where I wake up going, ah, oh, Jesus, you know, uh, but, you know, for the most part, you know, I'm like, yeah, all right, this is great. I love this. So, well, you know, what's today got? Because every day is different for me. You know, it's, it's, it's somebody else, uh, you know, different that I get to, to talk to. It's an opportunity to look at new business opportunities. And, uh, you know, people have submitted uh, over 4,000 submissions now in the last six months for, to ideas at G3.com. Uh, and I've reviewed over 4,000 submissions. I've answered every one of them, even regardless of how stupid the ideas were. And, uh, and so out, out of those, though, 200 of them were actually really good. Uh, and I would not have gotten the opportunity to read those 200. And out of the 200, 20 of them, I want to actually help them build their organization. And, uh, but I would not have been able to find those. If I hadn't slogged through all 4,000. So, you know, if, you know, so when I open one and it's really stupid and I'm like, you know, God, I can't believe how stupid this one is. You know, I got to actually formulate a reply that doesn't, you know, it doesn't involve, you know, swear words. So, um, you know, the, um, the problem is though, is that, you know, I go, okay, you know, this one isn't it, you know, let me pass along some advice to this guy and let me move on. And, and, and then I keep digging through the stuff and eventually, you know, uh, you know, we find a, a, a gem and, uh, you know, it, it's funny though, the quality is getting better for some reason. I mean, maybe all the people with stupid ideas got in early, but you know, the, the number of good ideas like today alone, I think I was sent four really great ideas. I mean, really amazing things, 
And uh, I'd like to do all four of them. I'd actually like to kick some of the ones that I already am committed to doing, uh, you know, to the back burner and do these first. I mean, it's 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 that good. And so, you know, I'm I'm excited. I mean, I, I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. Are most of those coming in from international or are these U.S. based? So that's a great question, Sean. So I tell you what. So I uh, I got the chance a few years ago to travel uh, extensively in the Middle East, uh, and uh, you know, I went to um, uh, to Abu Dhabi and Dubai. And, and met with some folks that I already knew out there. Uh, I went to um, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia uh, in Dammam and in uh, Riyadh. Uh, Riyadh's the central seat of the government there. And I spent almost a week in, in Doha and Qatar, who, who now has persona non grata status. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know I, it really opened your eyes to the reality of, of the Muslim world. Uh, I, I have some amazing uh, business partners and amazing friends uh, and, uh, it's a shame that Islam is being so misrepresented, uh, in the, in the news media and in, in, in the, in popular culture. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for all the religions of the world. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, their, their religion is being hijacked. So, uh, and traveling outside the U S and Europe and in the middle East and things like that, as I've done, um, really, I think gives me a real appreciation for what it's like out there in the rest of the world. And, you know, for many Americans who never get a chance to leave the country, I feel real sorry for them because they don't get a real perspective of what the rest of the world is like. You know, I, I always enjoy coming back to the U.S. Uh, because there's no better country in the whole world. Uh, but uh, really to get a sense of what things are like unfiltered from the way the Western media portrays everything is really a vast difference. And, uh, and I, I think that um, I, I'm really impressed by the number of international submissions from the folks on Quora. Literally, uh, folks from Australia and New Zealand, uh, folks from uh, uh, Nigeria and Ghana uh, and South Africa and Nigeria uh, and uh, other places in Africa. Uh, you know, I think we've, we haven't gotten submissions from all 54 countries in Africa, but, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, and that's a great expanding market. I mean, it's a little early for me in a market like that, but there's some great market opportunities. Uh, and of course, about 40% of the user base in Quora is from India. So I get a lot of submissions from India. Unfortunately, I don't do really do projects in India because uh, there's a lot of issues from you know access to healthcare to access to water, stable water and power for the kind of industrial stuff, transportation infrastructure problems. You know, there's government you know issues and, and things like that. So. You know, I, I just don't, it's hard to make a buck there. Uh, and uh, I, I just, there's easier places to make money. Uh, then, you know, Asia uh, is is amazing. I mean, the stuff from Singapore and Hong Kong and, and all the other submissions, plus uh, Eastern Europe. I mean, I, the, the folks in, from Georgia, uh, the country of Georgia and um, uh, folks from Turkey and, and the submissions that I've gotten from um, uh, other parts of, of Eastern Europe just amazing. I mean, it just, you know, there's some really fantastic things going on all over the world that, you know, people just really don't have a sense about. And I, that's been the great thing about being on Quora. And, and, you know, I mean, I just, I didn't expect to get this kind of response when I put my email address out there for people to send stuff to, I I never thought I'd get 4,000 submissions in six months, but, um, you know, I, I really feel blessed to be able to have had a chance to interact with that many people. And, you know, unfortunately I didn't, give everybody the answer they had hoped for. I, and I, I apologize. I wasn't always as nice to people as I probably should have been. Uh, and I apologize for that too. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's a tough world out there. 
And I find that the people that I was mean to that decided to go psycho and be mean back, uh, you know, if, if you don't have enough mental toughness to take criticism uh, and take it well and just take it and move on, you're not going to be successful anyway. You know, you have to understand that, you know, in order to be successful, you've really got to develop mental toughness. You know, the guys at Uber pitched 200 or 523 venture groups before they got a yes. You know, do you know how many times that you, oh God, 511. Okay. Another <laughs> no. 512. Oh God, another no. Uh, you know, but they kept going and you know, they got to 523. Somebody said yes. Uh, you know, based on the headlines this week, they probably wish they hadn't said yes. But, uh, you know, the uh, the reality of that, though, I mean, I, I passed on the opportunity along the way uh, just because I, I was concerned for rider safety and I was concerned uh, about, um, you know, driver safety, you know, and, and drivers have been shot and mugged and robbed and, you know, uh, passengers have been sexually assaulted. And so all of my issues have been realized. You know, I didn't expect people to be sexually assaulted by the management, but, you know, that's, uh, but, you know, the reality is, is that, uh, you know, it's, it's a situation where you have to have a certain degree of mental toughness to succeed. And unfortunately, most people don't have that. You know, uh, you've got to be able to hear no repeatedly. And, and the ones that I find, you know, ironic are the ones that want to argue with me for like eight more email messages before I finally block them about how I'm wrong and they're right. And I'm going to, I'm going to regret uh, not investing. Look, I tell you what, if you make a billion dollars and, and I missed out, good for you. I mean, I, congratulations, man. I hope you make a billion dollars. And you know what? I never regret not investing in something. I, there are all kinds of stuff I passed. I passed on Lyft. I passed on Uber, you know, all both for the same reason. Uh, and so I missed out on billions of dollars. Okay, great. So what? You know, based on the information I had and the fact that I don't want my name associated with potential danger to passengers or drivers, I just, I made a decision that that's not what I wanted to do. So, um, you know, you got to make those decisions. I, I never look back. I never regret anything. Even if I make some stupid mistake, I never regret it. it, it it's what brings me to whatever point I'm at. And I, I don't regret anything so far. What does it require to be worth a billion dollars? I don't know. You know, I, I don't, I, you know, I, the, I get this question all the time. I, you know, uh, why don't I want to be a billionaire? You know, I, I did the math early on with my father when he was still alive. Uh, he passed away in 2004. And so, um, you know, he, um, he gave me a couple of really good pieces of advice along the way. So, you know, he said, uh, I asked him, you know, what do I need to start my own company? He goes, you only need two things. You need an American Express card and a FedEx account number. And so those two things have proved more valuable uh, to me over the years than anything else. And then the other question I asked him was, you know, how do you make a million dollars? And he goes, oh, making a million dollars is easy. He said, uh, you know, all you have to do is convince a million people to give you a dollar. Well, you know, and that seemed stupid until about 2007 and the app store opened selling apps for 99 cents and a million people started downloading apps at a buck a piece. Well, guess what? Those people made millions of dollars overnight. And uh, so his model was exactly right. And for the last 10 years, we've been, I, once I finally understood the model and, and what he meant, uh, we've been adapting that model to our other platform strategies. Uh, and it's been a great strategy. I mean, it's, 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 it's what's really launched a lot of our companies uh, over the last 10 years. And, uh, it, you know, it, it was great advice. So um, in, in terms of being a billionaire, though, um, you know, my father and I did the math of, you know, if you eat out breakfast, lunch and dinner and you pay for all your kids college and, you know, buy them a, a car and and you buy yourself whatever house you want. And you um, you do all that, you, you do everything that you want to do and you add up the cost of that. You know, how much does that cost? Uh, and you literally can finance 
almost any kind of lifestyle you want on about $50 million. You know, you don't need any more than $50 million. You're not going to live that much better at $100 million than anybody who's got $50 million. In fact, all you're doing is stacking up more cash you can't spend uh, that's sitting on the sidelines, not not providing some stimulus for the economy. And so, I, you know, I'll leave the billionaire boys club to guys like, you know, Musk and Cuban. You know, they, they get off on being billionaires. I, I don't get off on being, you know, I, I, for me, money's a tool. You know, it, it, it's the byproduct of doing the right thing is what my father always said. And so, you know, he always said, you know, you do the right things with the right people uh, and the money will take care of itself. And so I know he's right. You know, I've enjoyed doing what I do with the people I do it with. And, you know, we happen to make money because of that. And, uh, and you know, we don't have to make a billion dollars. It, it doesn't, that's not important to me. So you mentioned Quaro a bunch. You want to just give my listeners uh, a little preview of what that website is. And then I want to also know what made you initially jump onto that, where I think it was in the first three months you were on it, you had 11 million unique views onto your post. I'm so curious. Was that a strategic play to build your personal brand? <laughs> no, it wasn't. I mean, it, it so, seems like it would have been a genius approach if it was. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I wish I could claim credit for that. So, <laughs> Uh, but no, so, you know, it, it's actually, it's actually pretty interesting. So I, I was doing some research. I mean, I, I, uh, I do research all the time, you know, something will come up and I'll be like, okay, well, uh, what is that? Or I wonder what that is. And, and I'll, I'll do some research on it. And, you know, for the last, you know, 15 or so years, 20 years, you know, the top result has been something on, um, on Wikipedia. And so, you know, people hate Wikipedia for one reason or another. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's like, I, I don't care. I, I'm just looking for a halfway decent answer that, you know, has a good chance of being correct. I, you know, I just need to help inform the process. Um, so the, uh, so what, um, what I found was is the top answer for something was, uh, was on Quora. And so I read the answer and I was like, uh, wow, that's pretty cool. And, uh, and so I, I was then started looking around the site and I was like, wow, that's pretty amazing, actually. Uh, you know, and I, I started following cer certain people. And, um, and I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. I, I don't, you know, and so, you know, it was the kind of, it was late one night and uh, or early one morning. And I was like, uh, all right, well, let me, you know, answer a couple of questions. And I, okay, well, that was fun. You know, yeah, let me answer some more. And then, you know, people started kind of, it, it, the momentum started to build. I mean, if you look at my stats page, uh, you know, I, I entered in December but I really didn't answer a whole lot of questions. I mean, it really took a while before, uh, you know, it, it set in. And uh, ironically, uh, my wife had foot surgery in December and I was home taking care of her for a couple of weeks. And so, you know, I had a break in my schedule, you know, it was almost Christmas. And so, uh, I really got into it about the latter half of December. I would, I'm sitting at home taking care of her and, uh, you know, uh, not doing much. And, uh, so I got on and, and started answering questions. And, and ironically, if you answer a lot of questions, uh, you know, you get a lot of momentum behind you. And, uh, you know, now I've got, uh, 41 million answer views, uh, almost 11 million answer views this month. Uh, and I've got 61,000 followers and, uh, you know, uh, I, I, w I finally got over a million, I went like 1.2 million upvotes, uh, you know, and I've been published twice, you know, the answers have been published, uh, both in the UK and the U S and, um, and that's great. I mean, it, you know, I'm, I'm grateful. I mean, my total number of answers, I'm up to 5,190 answers as of today. So, um, and so, I mean, I've, I can't believe I've answered over 5,000 questions. I mean, some of them are two line answers, but, uh, 
you know, it's been, uh, I believe I, I was in the top three, uh, of, of total, uh, of t- total volume on Quora as of a couple months ago. And, uh, depending on who you, who you ask, uh, and what kind of answer you get, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm closing in on the top one or two positions. And so, uh, but, um, it, it was never my, it was never my intention to take over, uh, Quora. I, I mean, you know, I, I, people have accused me of hijacking their platform. You know, their, their platform <laughs> is there. Their platform is there to answer questions, you know? Okay. So I'm answering questions. I mean, you know, what do you want from me? I mean, you know, this thing is there to answer questions. I'm answering questions. People, you know, I, I think for the most part, people are upset that, uh, people are answering so many questions with my name in the question. You know, I never expected, you know, uh, questions like, does Gordon Miller believe in evolution? You know, it's like, how, how about, how about just does, you know, do you believe in evolution? You know, I mean, I, uh, you know, I've even asked the folks at Quora to ban all questions with my name in it, you know, and of course they're like, well, can't do that. Uh, <laughs> so, but you know, it's, it's amazing what people ask. I mean, you know, the, the questions that I answered this morning is what is my typing speed? So, you know, at, uh, what, I guess it was 4 40 to 50, I think you said. Yeah, right. It's at 4, <laughs> at 4 a.m. I'm taking the typing test. You know, I'm, I'm, lying, I'm lying in bed typing. So lying in bed typing at 4 a.m., I can only type 40 to 50 words a minute. <laughs> so my, my guess is here in my office, I can probably type more than that. So. Yeah, no, I mean, I spent an hour alone. I, I just wanted to do research into some of your questions you've answered. I, an hour later, I'm still reading them. So I got to thank you for that one or, or wasting the time <laughs> there. But um, I, I'm also curious on how you structure your day, because to answer that amount of questions, to be involved in as many businesses as you are, how do you do that? Well, the, the great thing is, is that, you know, I have, um, well, I started my first company, uh, in 1993. I, I own 100% of that company. And, um, all the other companies I started since then, uh, I have partners and, uh, they are typically the operational partner. Uh, and so, um, I, I don't, often have day-to-day responsibilities for those companies. Uh, and, you know, those are the responsibility of my partners. And so um, for me, I, I don't have a whole lot. Of, I mean, it's like I, I don't have to sign checks or pay bills for those companies or make payroll or anything else like that. So, you know, the, I don't have to worry about those things. And the other people on the, in, the, in, the, in the group take care of that. So, um, so I don't have to, I mean, other, I, I do have to do that with the folks at G3, but uh, I don't have to do that with the other companies. And so uh, if for G3i, for our investment group, um, you know, I, it's a holding company for all the other companies. So all the other companies I own um, uh, equity stakes in, uh, you know, it's a, a G3i is a holding company for the equity shares. It, you know, it makes no revenue. Uh, you know, it just is a holding company that holds all the equity. So it has tremendous asset value because it holds all the equity for the other companies, but it doesn't, it doesn't make any significant amount of revenue itself. Um, but, um, so but anyway, so for me, I, I don't really have a tremendous amount of activity. I mean, G3, uh, has, um, uh, long-term government contracts. Uh, we've, we've been on this health and human services contract for 10 years. Uh, and, uh, the, um, before that, we did army contracts and a bunch of other stuff for Homeland Security and and the State Department. Um, you know, I, I was actually one of the original architects on the uh, email system for the State Department uh, that Secretary Clinton was supposed to be using. Uh, and <laughs> ironically, uh, a provision that I put in place in 2004 and five that Colin Powell didn't like at the time either, but Secretary Powell 
you know, resisted it at first. But, you know, the two provisions we put in was uh, every message has to be approved by uh, uh, two parties. Uh, my justification was not only that's the way the federal law reads, but, uh, you know, it, it's uh, it, it's the fact that there's uh, there are still two nuclear missile launch keys. Uh, and uh, it, I remember the argument uh, coming from uh, the deputy secretary or somebody, one of the ambassadors, uh, where they were like, uh, well, uh, you know, an email is not as dangerous as a nuclear weapon. I go, oh, oh well, I, uh, I'm, you and I are going to have to beg to differ on that. I, I think you will find that one day an email message will be worse than a nuclear weapon. So, uh, I, unfortunately, I was right. Um, <laughs> the, other, the, other, the other aspect of the system was the fact that every message goes into a lockbox and, e and the State Department does not have the, the past code to get into that. And uh, again, those, those are guidelines that were in the federal regulations, uh, and we designed the system. Uh, I, I did the workflow and the user interface design and everything else for the system, and uh, those were the features that I insisted be in the system. Uh, the guys that built the security built it unbreakable. Uh, you know, the tremendous guys that we worked with on the security for that are unbelievable. I mean, just top guys in the industry. Unfortunately, I can't disclose who they are, but uh, it, is, it is amazing. And it, the system was unbreakable. And so that's unfortunately why Secretary Clinton had to resort to having her own email server. There was, you know, no way around our system. And she didn't want anybody else to see each message. And she didn't want the messages to stay around forever. So you, you talk about partners. What do you look for in a partner? And how do you like to structure your deals? Well, usually most of my deals are 50-50 partners. And um, so uh, I, I like, uh, you know, being equal partners with somebody. Uh, it's the same way in my marriage. I mean, I've been, I've been with my wife for 19 years. I've been married 18 years. Uh, and we've always said that it takes, uh, it takes two yeses, but only one no. Uh, meaning that, you know, if we're both on board with something, it's, that's good. Uh, but if either one of us isn't comfortable with something, then it's not going to happen. And so I just find that parity uh, in the, in the opportunity, uh, makes the most sense. And, and ironically of the two companies that, um, I started and then shut down, uh, one of them was, uh, I only own 30%, uh, of the company and the other one I owned 50%, but I didn't own a controlling interest. I wasn't the CEO of that company. Uh, my partner was, uh, and so, um, and it, it, you know, he had relatively little business experience. And so it was not a good, a good strategy. So, uh, it, those are the only two that I've ever shut down. Uh, and it was because it, I had the wrong partners and it was the wrong opportunity, the wrong, wrong deal. When you're being, when you're being pitched an investment, do you strictly go off the raw data or are you going off gut instinct, betting more on the people? Yeah. So I, I I'm not a people kind of guy, you know, uh, you know, it, it's, um, you know, it's funny. So uh, one of the submissions that I got uh, was from the 16-year-old kid who lives in the Midwest, uh, you know, who's a high school student. And uh, he's like, you know, man, I'm only a high school student, but I had this great idea. And I'm like, dude, you know, this is a great idea. I mean, you know, this, you know, this should get built. You know, <laughs> will your parents sign the paperwork? <laughs> so, uh, you know, you're, you're not 18. So, uh, you know, so for me, uh, you know, it, it isn't necessarily about the people. I mean, they're, there are great people that I've had a chance to work with, but they have really shitty ideas. And so uh, just because they're great people doesn't mean anything. Uh, you know, um, and, and I know a lot of great people that I haven't done business with that, you know, my gut instinct is, man, I'd love to do business with this guy. I love this guy. And, uh, but they don't have an idea worth doing. And so for me, it, it, it all comes down to the idea. Uh, and I know that, you know, there's been a battle on Quora back and forth about 
what are ideas worth? Ideas are worth zero. Ideas are worth millions of dollars. You know, ultimately it comes down to execution. And uh, if I'm not going to be involved in the day to day, I have to know that, you know, you are and that you're going to be confident enough to handle, you know, what, what you're doing. And, and you, have, you have to know what you're doing. I was just going to ask, what are you better at than anyone else? I think for me, uh, I am better at, um, uh, at creating what my father used to call the win, win, win scenario. And, uh, when he, when he shared that with me, he's like, well, uh, you know, I was always taught that it was a win, win scenario. What's the extra win for? He goes, he goes, no, that's, that's the problem. He goes, most people think that it's, it's just two people winning. Uh, and he goes, that's not the case. He goes, usually there's three people involved. So for, for instance, um, you know, if we're going to be, uh, doing something, um, you know, we, the company providing the service has to win, uh, the end user, the, the consumer has to win and somebody else has to win. And, and the trouble is, is most, most propositions are on a win-win where two people win, but they forget about the third person in there somewhere. And, and that person isn't winning. I mean, you're, you are winning for those two wins at the expense of the third person. And if that expense of the third person is the, is the person that you're benefiting off of, it's not going to work. And so I think I'm best at identifying where the, uh, where the win-win, uh, where the win-win-win situation is, where, um, everybody gets enough of what they want. Uh, you know, it, it's a pricing model that's cheaper than it probably should be, but it benefits the end user. Uh, but you know, it has a licensing model that benefits the educational institution as well as the student, as well as us, the provider, you know? And so, you know, we, we work with a lot of major corporations or institutions, uh, and things like that on some of our platform offerings. And so, you know, if we're doing something that's being deployed for a Fortune 500 company, you know, that company has to win. Their employee or their customer has to win, depending on who the ultimate end user is. And then we have to win. I mean, it has to be something where we make enough money to make it make sense. Uh, and it has to offer enough value or benefit for their customer or for their employees. And it has to offer enough value and benefit for the, the enterprise. And I think most people forget that. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, we're making shitloads of money. You know, it's like, okay, well, it's benefiting you know, the end user, you know, the, the employee or the customer, but the enterprise is not benefiting from it. It's costing them a fortune that won't survive. I mean, you have to have the right kind of, uh, overall model. And, and I think most of the people, you know, everybody's talking about the 10 slides you need to submit to, you know, have me review something. And, and I, on my video on, on YouTube, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, I, I say really, you know what, there's like three slides that matter. You know, and um, the, the most important one is just the business model. I mean, if, if you have a really great idea, you know, that, that so solves a problem that people will pay to solve and you, you really understand that and you've got the right strategy, even if you have slightly the wrong model, um, you can tweak the pricing strategy. You know, that's no big deal. But, uh, you know, it's hard to come up with something. I mean, there's lots of things I get submitted that it's like, man, it'd be great to have an app that gave universal access of everything to this and blah, blah, blah. And you know, it's like, yeah, that would be great. You know, in, in an ideal world, yes, it's needed. Yes, people would love it. Yes, you would be, uh, you know, hailed as a god on earth, but you're going to go broke. And in fact, um, you know, I, I actually got an email reply back from somebody who, uh, who did this. Uh, I, I advised them against it. Uh, and then they took advantage of the uh, Amazon Web Services uh, free trial uh, for, I don't know, what is it, 30 days or whatever it is. And uh, you know, they got their bill after the first month of going live. And he's like, oh my God, we made like, you know, a hundred bucks and 
our bill was a thousand dollars. I go, yeah, that's right. Because, you know, because you guys don't have the model, right? I mean, you guys didn't have the model, right? You know, three months ago when you sent me the email, I told you not to do it. But, um, and he goes, you know, he goes, well, we're ramping up so quickly next month. It's going to be $2,000. Yeah. And you're only going to make 200. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you have great momentum, but you're losing money every single day you're in business, you know, and you know, the, a mentor of mine early on, uh, we, you know, we lost money the first two years we were in business. And so, uh, an early mentor of mine said, you know what, uh, what is your, what's your overall goal? And I said, well, my goal <laughs> being young and stupid that I was, he goes, my goal is to be here 10 years from now for my clients uh, who need me. And I go, really? Okay. So if that's your goal, then you need to be here 10 years from now. And the only way to be here 10 years from now is to make a profit so you can survive. And, you know, a profit is not a bad thing. Everybody talks about, you know, corporate profits and how, you know, companies are evil and, you know, things like that. You know, companies are not evil. Companies are an a necessary evil in order to, for the whole world to continue to revolve. And uh, companies have to make a profit so that they continue to provide the valuable products and services that they do. And I, I think people lose sight of that. You know, it's, uh, profit is not an evil thing. Profit is a necessary component of the value proposition so that, you know, we can enjoy the goods and services that we get. You mentioned going broke. If you went broke today, how long would it take you to gain it all back? Uh, well, um, let's see. Because I yeah, feel I, like you've done so much over your career where without a doubt, you'd get back to where you are in, in short time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, you know, listen, there's a, there's a site that's going to go live July one, uh, that, uh, this 20 year old kid from Argentina, uh, flew 9,000 miles uh, to New York City to go kick ass on some distributors uh, that he was working with here in the U.S. and then drove from New York down here and we cut a deal to start the company uh, and uh, we literally did the paperwork right here sitting in my office where I am today uh, and uh, we signed the paperwork. We spent our $100 registering it with the State Corporation Commission. We went down and put $100 in the bank so we had a bank account uh, and um, the site goes live, e-commerce site goes live, you know, first of July. And, um, I, I predict that we're going to make at least a million dollars, uh, this year and, uh, good margins, good infrastructure. This kid is just absolutely any, any problem that comes up, the distributor is a problem. The, the, uh, you know, uh, the fulfillment guys are a problem. He's on the phone and, and getting that done. And I'm just impressed. I mean, you know, he's, he's probably, he's even more impressive than I was at 20. You know, I mean, he's, he's amazing. And so by working with kids like that, uh, you know, uh, I, I would take, I mean, I, we set started the company with $200 and, uh, you know, we spent some, I mean, we spent probably close to 25 or 50 grand building the website. Uh, but the reality is that's just time and labor, you know, that's, you know, and you can, you know, if we hadn't done it on our own platform, we could have done Shopify or something like that. But, you know, the reality is you can start a company today for less than a thousand dollars. I mean, I started my first company for 5,000 with $5,000. Back when five thousand was worth like ten thousand in today's money, so you know we're talking about you can start a company online for less than a thousand bucks and just get it done. And and uh, we're going to make a million dollars this year on an initial outlay of less than you know uh, less than uh, let's call it less than fifty grand, including all the all the uh, website stuff and everything. So you know it, it's easy, I think, to to work back into something. There are enough free resources out there. Uh, there are enough online uh, portals and enough online capabilities, you know, leveraging all the stuff that's out there is, uh, is amazing. I mean, I, I don't think anybody, uh, you know, uh, I, I, there are a few people though that don't understand 
the, the reality. So, uh, uh, one of the guys that sent me an email, sent me a follow-up email, um, he, he's selling a product on Amazon and, you know, but his product is like $5 more expensive than everybody else's product. And he also has some really, you know, shitty logo, uh, on, on his photos. And, and so, you know, he, he's bitching because he's only making five sales a month while his competitors are selling like, you know, 50 a day. And so I said, dude, you know, it's not rocket science. You know, you, you do a search on your product and there's a hundred people providing it at 1999. You know, you've got to provide it at 1999. You got to provide it at 1799. Uh, and, um, and you got to take that damn logo off your image. <laughs> so nobody else has, nobody else has some stupid ass logo that you think is terrific, but everybody thinks is hideous and, uh, on your, on their pictures, you know? And so, uh, he did that and he emails me back and he goes, Oh my God. You know, I've gotten more sales in the last week than I got all last month. I go, yeah, that's right. I yeah, mean, no that's shit. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, so, you know, there, there's so many people that, that just don't understand the mechanics of what it takes, uh, to, to do something and, and be successful at it. And it, it's a shame. I mean, you know, one of these days I probably will write that book because, you know, there, there's a lot of things that I think people get wrong. And, and I've always said, there's no, there's not a roadmap to, to how to be an entrepreneur. There's a lot of books that tell you how somebody did it and a lot, a lot of things that, you know, quip about, you know, uh, other, you know, kind of useless things. It's sort of like chicken soup for the soul for the entrepreneur. You know, it's, it's, it's small, meaningless, mindless things uh, that, you know, don't really apply. But, you know, there's never really been a roadmap for an entrepreneur that understands the reality of something. You know, the things like, um, you know, that they never teach you in business school. You know, the things like uh, I, I use triple thick uh, business cards from um, from the folks at, um, uh, at, uh, Vistaprint, uh, or the folks at Moo. Uh, and, uh, the reason is, is that when I hand somebody my business card, it's like twice as thick or more than a regular business card. And they always think that I handed them two and they want to hand me back one of them. So they just handled my card for twice the amount of time hmm. that they, any, anybody else has handled any other card that day. And then they, they're picking it apart, trying to figure out why it's so thick. And to try to give me back the other one, they think it's stuck together. And so they're looking at my card the whole time. So that, you know, the, the psychology and the mechanics of that is something that, you know, people just don't seem to understand. You know, uh, it, it's, it's that whole, uh, you know, human factors engineering that, you know, I love so much that is, plays a role in, you know, human psychology and, and everything else that is all part of how you win in this game. And, you know, they don't teach you that. They don't teach you to get the extra thick business cards and, and what you do and don't need to put on your business card. They don't teach you that shit in business school. And nobody puts that in any of the books that are out there. You know, I, I, I have gotten more business off of my business cards uh, over the last 24 years. That and the fact that I've had the exact same email address and the exact same phone number for much of the last 24 years. And so I've had guys that contacted me 10 or 12 years later and said, man, I can't believe that I got you, you know, got you, you know, your email went through and I called and I got you on the phone. I'm like, yeah, what's up? Because we have this project, uh, you know, we got about $2 million to get this thing done. You, uh, you available? <laughs> oh yeah, of course. You know, I mean, it, you know, if I had changed phone numbers or I had changed email addresses, I would have missed $2 million worth of work. I mean, you know, what's that worth? I mean, you know, they, they don't teach you that stuff. So, you know what, I, you know, I, I, I probably will, you know, one day be back with a book that, you know, gives people the real advice that they really need to know. And there's probably a thousand things that, you know, people need to know like that, but you know, nobody ever bothers to tell them. And, uh, so, you know, if nobody else is going to tell you, it might as well come from me. 
Gordon Miller, you sneaky son of a bitch. I love that business card tip. And you know what we need to do? We need to do for this millennial audience a little one-on-one. You hit us with those quick tips. I think that would be awesome for your YouTube page. But I've got a question. That company that's launching July 1, uh, you guys bringing on any investors? <laughs> no, no way. No, no. I, I had to ask. I had to ask. <laughs> that, that, that's right. No, the... Uh, uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, that, that one's fully subscribed. Yeah, so, I could imagine. Uh, yep. <laughs> Great. Well, just a few more questions uh, before we link my listeners up with you. But what are you most passionate about in your life right now? Well, for me, you know, um, uh, the first, you know, when you're in your uh, when you're in high school and you're in your teens, it's really about developing uh, what you need to to kind of be successful in your academic career. And, and your 20s is really about you know, your academic career and building your initial professional career, you know, in your thirties, that's when things kind of really take off for you. Uh, and most people decide to start a family in their thirties and forties. Uh, and then in your fifties, you know, you kind of realize that, um, you're going to die someday. And, and so you start thinking about, well, okay, so I've done a lot of great things over the last 25 years. I've, I've, I'm, you know, grateful for all the opportunities. Uh, but you know, there's gotta be more to it than just making a bunch of money. And so, um, that's really kind of where I'm at now. Uh, you know, it's about spending time with the family before the kids, you know, get old and move out on their own. And, you know, we're starting to lose them to college, uh, you know, here in the next year. Uh, so it's really about spending time with them, but it's also about, you know, trying to figure out what you're going to, what you're going to do to you know make a difference. And so for me, you know, that's why I answer all the questions on Quora. You know, that's why I spend, you know, hundreds of hours uh, reviewing, uh, you know, submissions. I, I, I counted up the time at my billable rate. I've spent almost a half million dollars answering <laughs> questions so far. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not making me, uh, you know, uh, you know, any money on an hourly basis, but, you know, but I wouldn't, I mean, we're going to make a million dollars together with this kid, uh, from Argentina. And, uh, you know, it's, I wouldn't have had that opportunity to help him make, you know, half a million dollars and I wouldn't have been able to make a half million dollars for myself. I mean, that one project, uh, here in the next 12 months will pay for all the time that I've spent on Quora so far. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's all about trying to, you know, trying to leave a, a, an impression. You know, the good thing is, is that Quora should be around forever. So, you know, my answers are there. And I originally wanted to be on Quora to, you know, answer questions that I thought my kids would one day, you know, they, they don't want to ask, they don't want to talk to me. They, they think I don't know anything. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, I, I get a lot of appreciation from folks for the questions that I answer. And it's ironic, you know, the most successful, uh, money-wise, the most successful years uh, for people is in their 60s. Their second most successful years is in their 70s. And their third most successful decade is in their 50s. And so I can't imagine, you know, it, it must have something to do with this transformation that happens when you turn 50 uh, that really kind of gets you refocused. Because, you know, if I'm launching 10 companies in the next 12 months, you know, doubling the footprint that we have and then adding 10 more after that, you know, you got to imagine that by the time we get to my 60s, we'll probably have close to 50 companies. And it doesn't take much profit from each company uh, to really, uh, you know, really begin to, to, to produce some significant monetary value. And, uh, and think of all the lives we would change. I mean, all, all the guys that are going to be my partners and those opportunities will we'll have some great opportunities together. Man, Gordon Miller going out with a bang there. So how can my listeners stay connected with you? I know you've got a bunch going on. Well, so, um, you know, I catch a lot of heat for, uh, not, um, you know, not doing as many YouTube videos as I should. Uh, you know, I'm at youtube.com slash user slash Gordon G Miller, I, I, I for Gordon G Miller, the third, uh, and, um, you know, I'm on Quora, uh, at, uh, at Gordon Miller, 
uh, I believe it is, uh, I think the blog is gordonmiller.quora.com. And from there, you can get the profile. Uh, and uh, in, in my profile on Quora, uh, I, uh, I give uh, my LinkedIn uh, address, uh, you know, for, um, for that, you can, um, you know, you can add me to your LinkedIn network. Uh, I had like 1,400 people, uh, you know, that I had uh, about six months ago. Now I'm up to 3,400 people. So uh, I don't know how many I don't know how many you get to have in your network before you have to start paying, but I'm sure I'm hit, I'm, I'm getting up there. But uh, so, um, but yeah, no, I, I encourage people to add me to their network. Uh, you know, especially the international stuff. The great thing is, is I I have so many people in South Africa and in Australia and New Zealand and things like that. You know, when I get ready to um, launch an opportunity in that area, all I have to do is go to LinkedIn and and search. Okay, who's in New Zealand? All right. Well, I got half a dozen guys that you know reached out. Let me reach it back out to them, and uh, you know it 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 really helps build out the network. That's I think that's really important. And uh, the uh, but yeah, I'm at, I'm at LinkedIn uh, uh, LinkedIn.com slash in slash Gordon G Miller. Uh, you can add me to your LinkedIn network, uh, and I'm on Twitter as well. Uh, I, I I post a lot of the good stuff that's actually worth um, worth uh, uh, watching. Uh, at Twitter. And uh, let me see what my Twitter handle is. I don't even remember. Yeah, so, we'll, we'll make sure we get all that linked up in yep. the show notes. They can just right. click underneath that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, right now, all the submissions are at uh, ideas at g3.com and uh, the letter G, the number three. And uh, yep, Twitter's uh, at Gordon G. Miller. So, but uh, yeah, so thanks, John. I mean, I really appreciate it. It's, it's, it's been great. I mean, you're, you have some amazing uh, podcasts that I got a chance to listen to. Uh, I, I appreciate you inviting me onto the show. Uh, I know we've gone over, you know, the typical time and, you know, edit for length, uh, you know, get me talking, you know, I could talk all day. No so. chance. We're not editing this one. We're leaving it all. <laughs> oh, good. Excellent. Yeah, no, this is awesome. Gordon, I can't thank you enough for coming on. What got you there? It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.